Brothers and sisters in recovery, anxiety warriors, and mental health champions, welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a doctor, not a counselor. No, I'm a guy with 889 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. I am a podcaster, and I have a fellow podcaster on this episode of my podcast. Her name is Maria Lopez, and she hosts the popular podcast, mothering anxiety during which she opens up about the many faces of anxiety that she's been battling you know since she was in her early teens we talked about her husband getting sober about a year ago i'm so grateful that she joined me i'm looking out the window and it is a beautiful day to get our 40,000 steps in so i'm thinking we should get it yeah all right let's get it confessional i have been in the dumps since i gave the keynote speech last tuesday uh october 19th for all points north lodge for their virtual speaker series i felt like quite a bowl of word salad i just threw at you i gave this keynote speech that i had been anticipating for a long time it was my first such paid speaking engagement and Obviously, a lot of work went into it leading up. It was exhausting, you know, to give the speech and then suddenly it's over. And then I wake up the next morning and not only is it over, but I've dredged up a lot of this, a lot of this stuff from my past that, you know, I've talked about it here and there, but, you know, never for like almost an hour, right? So I've been really, really depressed. I was really, really depressed leading up to my conversation with Maria. And I've been doing my very best to give myself some grace and give myself the opportunity to sort of recover, which is hard when you're a workaholic, you know, when work is sort of one of your many replacement addictions, but it was, it was just really a struggle. And I was actually in the mindset where I was like, I don't even want to do this freaking interview. It's hard enough just peeling myself out of bed right now, let alone, let alone, you know, kind of putting on a happy face and chatting with Maria. But this is kind of the beauty of what she and I do was I was just able to be open and honest with her about like how shitty I was feeling and knowing that, you know, it was a safe place to be vulnerable. And then what do you know? We talked for almost an hour and I came away from it and, you know, we wrapped up and I sent her a voice message immediately. And I was like, you know what? I feel so much better. So thank you so much for lifting me up. Now, I know that, you know, a lot of folks who listen to this have either wrestled with addiction or mental illness, you know, no matter what you're struggling with, I have to urge you to reach out to a partner of the podcast, DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers right here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. All right. So yeah, Mariah and I had an absolutely wonderful conversation. And it's always it's always very interesting 
for me to get the perspective of the partner in a relationship where somebody gets sober or somebody's dealing with addiction. Because you know, as, as we talk about, I know that I put Kayla through a ton. All the times that she found my empties, all the times that she felt helpless because she'd confront me. And then and then her, you know, living her life wondering whether I'm actually being truthful with her. So it, it, I, I'm really grateful to Maria for being open and honest about, about how it affected her and sort of the, the frustration of her husband getting sober by his own decision or seemingly exclusively by his own decision after she had you know, asked him to change so many times. And <laughs> it's so coincidental that you know, we got done with the conversation. I, I left her that voice message. And then I'm thinking about like when I'm going to record my intro. And so I look up to make sure that I've always got it right. You know, that it is, you know, the number of days that I've been sober for that little intro, 889 in this case. And I started to get curious. I started doing the math and I was like, I bet I'm going to hit like a thousand days around Valentine's Day. So I do the Google, how many days between May 21st, 2019 and uh, February 14th, 2022. And guess what? 1,000 days. It'll be 1,000 days on Valentine's Day, which is like, <laughs> it just goes to show because my recovery has taken up so much space in our universe, in our little, uh, in our bunker here. And... You know, when I was in rehab, you know, it was, it was really urged to us by, you know, the folks from AA who talked to us that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be heading home expecting anybody to throw a parade for us, to throw us a party. And you know, as we get close to Valentine's Day, I, I have to, uh, I got to figure out how to handle that because I don't want my recovery, you know, hijacking my relationship with my wife or my relationship with others. It's not fair. It's not fair to her. I will report back as we get closer because yes, it's important for me to celebrate myself, but it's, it's far more important for me to celebrate anniversaries and holidays with the love of my life. Okay. That is enough about me. You came here for a conversation with Maria Lopez, the brilliant host of mothering anxiety. So let's get into it. This is my conversation with Maria. Hello. No, please, please finish your breakfast by all means. I had to take a bite. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm I'm kind of I'm dragging anchor. Yeah, I, I had this keynote speech the other night, and I'm I feel like I'm still recovering from it. A because it was really exhausting in the moment, but B there's this. First off, there's always the feeling of like, okay, what's next? Like that that was like monumental. What's next? But I think a lot of it too is like dredging up a lot of stuff that I don't talk about. Like I, I talk about a lot of stuff, but this was very, very like raw and vulnerable, you know? So, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm like trying to show myself grace and just be like, just you quit beating yourself up for not working enough and stuff and just, just recover, man. Right. Just rest a little bit. No, I get it. I mean, yeah. Um, when I started, talking about you know like my my family and stuff it was kind of rough and it was also like I was super anxious because I didn't know how people would like react you know like if people would be like oh like you took it too far or you said too much you know <laughs> but you know what thankfully people were like you know very very helpful and very supportive so it was nice but yeah well, I'm, I'm I'm so glad that you're doing what you, what you're doing and and that you really, you really dial in on the anxiety stuff, obviously, because that's what you've been wrestling with for so long, but you approach it from so many different angles. You're like the, uh, like the anxiety surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> because it, it has so many different faces and it affects like so many different you know elements of our life. Um, and you know, when, when you were gracious enough to have me on your podcast, as like I tend to do, because I'm not used to being interviewed, I sort of like flipped it around and I was, and I started asking you questions at one point. And 
people think that like, you know, I, I put on airs that I'm a very confident person, but I, one of, one of the things that I do is like, I, I continue to agonize over like every conversation that I have with folks and like, what, what should I have said differently and stuff. And I remember I, I totally botched when I, I asked you, I was like, well, don't you, I was like, have you found a way to like take your anxiety and stuff and like find out how it like serves you and benefits you and how it's a superpower. And I just remember you being like, boy, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But there's, there's something about like a phrase that you use and you know what? You have the mug, you have the mug right now that reads my my poster here. Everywhere. Yeah. This, this phrase of love your anxiety. And I think that was where I was going with it. And the question I was trying to ask is that like, we need to befriend this stuff to a certain extent. Your podcast is called Mothering Anxiety, for fuck's sake. Tell me about that realization where you realize that you have to mother it, you have to live with it. And, and, and you you have to just acknowledge the fact that that's, that's very much part of who you are. You know, honestly, it wasn't something that like I even thought of up until last year (laughs) like just within this last year um you know I was going through well one we were all going through tough times during this pandemic and being you know shut down and everything but you know I was going through other stuff just like personally and you know with my family and I was like you know what this is just kind of never gonna go away this is just kind of always going to be there so either I fight it and um which was only making it worse, like me saying like, no, I'm not anxious. No, I don't have anxiety. No, this, no, I'm overreacting. No, you know, I'm crazy. That was only making it worse. It was only making me feel worse about myself. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to accept that this is what I have and accept that I'm going to have to live with this. And, um, you know, that just kind of helped. And it helped me understand my anxiety more. At that point, I was able to just kind of sit down and be like, okay, well, what's triggering me? What is causing me to feel this way? Um, and I was just kind of able to sit down. I, you know, even kind of journaled out a little bit. And I knew, you know, what most of my triggers were. But as I also started doing this podcast, um, and I was, you know, doing more episodes, I started to realize like, oh, okay, well, this is also triggering me. And that is also triggering me. So, you know, as I'm doing this, and as I'm helping others, I'm also actually helping myself. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's been very therapeutic for me, because I'm learning more things about myself. And then I'll have conversations with other people. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, you know, you, you talked about that so great. Or, you know, I never realized that this was what was going on. And, um, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, don't fight it. You have it. It protects you. It does. Um, and just learn to love it and learn to embrace it. What, where did the fighting come from? Why Why do you think there was that resistance? Um, I mean, like, I didn't want anything to be, like, wrong with me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I didn't want to... Yeah, like, I, I didn't want to accept that, like, something was wrong with me, that I wasn't normal. Um, and this can kind of go far as back as like my childhood of like not being, um, you know, like accepted for who I was, I guess. Um, so it was just a sense of like, I don't want people to think that there's something wrong with me, that I'm weird, that I'm crazy, that, you know. So I didn't want to accept it, um, that I had anxiety because I didn't want people to be like, oh, well, you're just an anxious fuck, you know, like, and that's that. But you know, it makes me me <laughs> now and I'm learning to accept that now. So it's such a wild concept how we know that something's wrong. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes we struggle to give it a name too. how long have you known that there's something up with the anxiety and stuff? Was it since you're like a kid? Well, I mean, like I wasn't technically diagnosed until I was in my early 20s. Yeah. But if I kind of look back, yeah, there was definitely you know, this was something that I struggled with as a child, you know, and people would always just be like, oh, you're a shy kid or, oh, you're just quiet. And it's like, no, it's because I'm anxious and I don't want people to think that I'm weird or there's something <laughs> wrong with me so I'm not talking. Well, I, I asked that because like I, I've been kind of going around and around with this with myself, but then I've, all, you know, I've, it's, it's kind of crept its way into some of my conversations with folks on the podcast is there was, when I think back on my childhood, there was a certain amount of everybody must be going through this. Like this, this, this has to be normal. This is just, this is just life. 
And then later in life, like there was a certain comforting realization of, wow, no, not, not everybody is feeling this way. This is unique to me. There was a certain amount of comfort in like validation. Like, like you mentioned, like you used the C word before of crazy. Where it's like, okay, no, this isn't normal. And, and, and first off, that's okay. But then if I can give it a name, if I can know what it is, then I can get better and I can just, you know, I can live my life, uh, you know, whereas before it was just like, okay, this just is life. Like everybody's going through this. I, I found a lot of comfort in having like the diagnosis and being able to give it a name. Did, did you experience that too? No, not really. Actually, if anything, I was more, well, I mean, I was more so just like confused. I was like, when I realized that I, you know, that this was it, this was the anxiety. I, it, one of the questions that went through my mind was like, there are people who don't feel this way. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who don't freak out over everything, who don't overanalyze everything, who don't overthink everything. I'm like, there are people who are just living their lives, like <laughs> not giving it, you know, like not caring about anything. Was there like a little resentment there for like the genetic life? <laughs> Definitely. Cause I'm just like, what do you mean that like there are people who don't care? Like, how do you not care? And I have this conversation with my husband a lot. And I'm just like, how do you not care about this? Or how are you not freaking out over this? And he's just like, I just don't think about it, you know, or like, I just don't think that way. And I'm like, I, yeah, I kind of hate you for that. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm excited to, to, you know, to explore your, your relationship with him a bit, in, a, in a bit, like from what I've learned from your story and listening to your podcast, like, like the two of you are, are quite different in a number of ways. And I think there's a certain amount of, you know, opposites attract going on there, but you know, you, you mentioned your childhood. What do you think, like, as you examine like your family tree, did you start to to see that there were, you know, there was evidence of mental illness with your family? Like, I guess, tell me about your upbringing and, and where you think maybe the anxiety and stuff came from. Well, I mean, yeah, there was definitely mental illness in my family and things that just were not talked about, <laughs> things that were not worked on. Nobody went to therapy. Nobody believed in therapy. You know, my... I was raised by my grandmother. My mother had me at 16. I always lived with my grandma. I never lived with my mom. My mom had, you know, other kids. And, you know, my mom would come and visit and stuff. And I, you know, I would say I had a relationship with my mom. But, you know, there was this, like, battle between the both of them, I would say. Like, my grandma and my mother. Like, who was better? Who raised me better? Who was treating me better? And they were just... They did not have the best relationship ever. And I always felt that I was like caught in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. and it was always like, well, my grandma's the one raising me. So I need to stand by her. But then my mother is my mother. It's so I need to stand by her. Right. And, you know, it was hard. And it, and it wasn't until like my teen years where I started to realize like how bad this was um, and how like me being caught in the middle was being really bad for my mental health you know, their relationship never really fully recovered. <laughs> um, and as you know, mine with my mom, I'm not even sure where, where we'll ever be in the future. But, um, you know, there was definitely, you know, a sense of like generational trauma that came on, you know, between my great grandmother to my mo- grandmother, then to my mother, then to me. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a struggle just like, seeing them like how, you know, essentially how badly they treated each other, you know, and then from there it came to how badly they treated me. So. And, and I mean, you're kind of going through this identity crisis during your formative years. Yes. <laughs> trying to learn to love yourself when, I mean, you've revealed, you know, your mom had you at 16. So, I mean, let's just go ahead and assume that this wasn't like her master plan, right? Oh no. It was like in my super, like my preteens where I realized like, you know, I wasn't meant to exist in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I was never supposed to be born, you know, because who realistically goes out and is like, hey, I'm going to have a kid at 16 years old, you know? <laughs> and there was always just that underlying pressure to you for my entire family. Like, oh, your mom had you at 16. You're now 13. That's only three years. Like, don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant, you know? And, and that was hard. And not that I was out doing anything at 13, but, you know, just like that underlying pressure of like, don't be like your mom, don't fuck up like your mom. And it was like, 
So it, does that make me the product of a fuck up? Like, you know, and I know their intentions were good, I guess, but I don't think they realized like how bad that just kind of screwed with me mentally. Yeah. I, I, God, you know, we need to establish like an overthinkers anonymous group because <laughs> like, like that, that, that connecting of uh, basically pointing out that don't fuck up like your mom and assigning that to yourself as that I'm the, my God, I mean, how, how cruel, I mean, you're a child at 13, you know? And I, I know that this, I know that this very much like informed or dictated like your journey to motherhood, you know, you and your husband, did you guys, like, I, I've heard you say that, you know, you never wanted to have kids, you know, what, what were the discussions around like the, uh, around that? Like, did, did he want to have kids? Yeah, my husband's always wanted like a huge family. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've always been like, no, you know, that's not for me. Um, you know, I, I saw it. I saw what it could do to your life. And I'm like, and that's not what I want. But, you know, we, we moved and we were in a good place. You know, like we were steady financially. Um, you know, we both had good jobs. We both had jobs where, you know, we could kind of uh, juggle like a kid was both of us working and stuff and so we kind of had the discussion where we were like you know what okay and I said I was like all right well you know I think I'm okay mentally <laughs> physically right now to have you know to have a baby and that's you know where my daughter is now but even just like when I was pregnant with her and even having her like that brought up a whole different can of worms and I you know I started to realize how much more intense, you know, all my childhood trauma was because here I was and I was going to bring in my own child. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, fuck, like, I, you know, and especially because I was going to have a girl, yeah. you know, yeah. and I was just like, um, well, I didn't have the best role, like female role models in my life. Like, how am I supposed to be a good female role model to my daughter? And, you know, I, I suffered with depression while I was pregnant. And the whole time I was just like, I'm just going to fuck this up. I'm just going to screw this up. Like, I'm just going to be as bad as all of them. And, it, you know, that was rough because I felt that, like, I didn't really have anyone to talk to or anyone who truly understood that. You know, when I would talk to friends about it, they would just be like, oh, it's just your hormones. Oh, you're just being hormonal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Everybody wants to chalk it up to something else other than what it is, right? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Tell that to a hormonal pregnant lady. Like I was pissed, you know, I was just like, no. And sure. I mean, hormones come into play, you know, but like it was, you know, it was really rough. And, you know, my husband didn't really talk much, you know, to me about it, but he understood that I was going through something. So he was as supportive as he could, you know, he would be like, okay, well, you know, if you don't want to go out, if you don't want to do anything, that's fine. Or he'd just be like, what do you want to eat? You know, at that point. But yeah, but you know, that was, that was rough all on its own. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, as things go along, you know, you, you see on the ultrasound, it's a girl. Yeah. I literally was like, fuck. Like, I was literally like, and the ultrasound tech started laughing because it was funny because like you know she was like going you know first they check the baby to make sure baby's okay and I was like have you ever had anyone who um you know was disappointed with the gender and she was like yeah and she you know told us a story and I was like okay well that's gonna be me you know I'm like I'm just warning you right now and you know and she goes around and I'm looking at it and I could clearly see that it was a girl and I was like mm. and she was like well she's like it's a girl and I'm like fuck <laughs> like that's all i said like i was like okay well thanks god like <laughs> you know here we go well what are what are the next few months like you know your your daughter arrives did, did you uh, did you wrestle with you know postpartum or anything like that so i didn't struggle with postpartum depression and i you know i always say the story where i'm like the moment that i had my daughter my daughter saved me mm. um because I, you know, but as soon as I had her in my arms, I remember that first night, I didn't sleep the whole night because I just wanted to stare at her little face. And like, I just knew at that moment, I was like, it is my job to protect her. It is my job to love her. And it is my job to make sure that nothing bad like ever happens to her. I mean, I know that that's not the case, but you know, <laughs> in that moment, I was like, it is my job to be the best mother that I could possibly be. And that was when I realized like, I have to be different. Like I can't, 
I can't be like my mom. I can't be like my grandma. Like this little girl deserves everything in the world. And, you know, at that point, there was also some resentment because I was like, why didn't that happen, you know, to my mom? Like when she looked at me, like, why didn't she say like, oh, I need to protect this little girl? Why didn't that happen to my grandma? You know? But what a love story for you, for you with, with, with your daughter. I, I think that that's absolutely beautiful. Like, you know, just, just now like all the hairs stood up on my arms as, as you had that revelation when she was born. Now, as, as she gets older, <laughs> and you know, I'm going to bring this up because, you know, I, I, I guess it's a matter of, hey, let's find something else to be anxious about. Um, as, as she gets older, though, like I think about this with my daughters. Now that I'm sober, I'm very careful about like telling them you're the reason daddy got sober. You're the reason that daddy got sober because I don't want that to be so formative to them and like so a big part of their identity that it creates, you know, this sense of responsibility. You know what I mean? So, you know, as, as your daughter, you know, grows up, uh, do, do you have to be, you know, kind of, kind of careful about about how much you talk about, you know, that love story and what, what it was like when you found out that you're having a girl and stuff. You know, have, have you thought about how, he, how you might handle those conversations if you have them at all? I mean, honestly, no, you know, but thanks for giving me something else. <laughs> um, you know, that's not. No, that's not really something that I've actually thought about. My main worry and one of the things that I'm most anxious about is as she gets older and she asks, like, you know, what happened to your mom yeah. or what happened yeah. to your family? You know, that's what kind of scares me because I'm like, I don't know how to have that conversation with her. You know, I mean, she knows she has her grandma and her grandpa from my husband's side, which I am, you know, extremely grateful. They love the crap out of her, you know, and they give her everything. But I know that at one point she's going to realize like, hey, we always go to, you know, daddy's mom and dad's house. Mommy, why don't we go to your mom and dad's house? You know, so that's that's where my anxiety is. is she And she's getting a little bit a little bit older to where she's going to get to that point and realize that. But um, well, I, I, I don't know if this helps at all, but. I have brothers who are older than me, four and five years older than me. And I feel like every six months or so, like the girls ask, who are our aunts and who are our uncles? And <laughs> my, my brothers and I are estranged. They're completely estranged from our family. Like they were very abusive. They're, they're incredibly, they're just, they're just not good people. And so it's, it's always this conversation of, well, you, you have your uncle Kyle, who's my wife's brother. And I explained to them, you know, you have two more uncles, you know, daddy has, you know, has two brothers, but you know, they're not in the picture. And it, and it's, it ends up being a very honest conversation about why they're not. And maybe you can, t again, I don't know if this provides comfort, but the fact that like, they seem to forget you know what I mean? They, they sort of cling to the love that they have with grandma and grandpa and Oma and Opa and Papa that there's so much love there that I think, I think it, it, it fills that space. You know what I mean? That brings a little bit of comfort, especially because I know that, you know, my husband's, you know, family, they love love her you know at some points i'm even like wow like, you have the grandparents that i you know that i wish i had and stuff um so you know that brings comfort and you know he has his, his brother and his sister who also love her so yeah. it definitely brings a little bit of comfort <laughs> well let, let's talk about your husband and what, what it's like living with somebody who does not suffer from mental illness because like same team in that regard, my wife is completely unaffected by mental illness apart from the fact that she lives with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there's, oh. there's no diagnosis there for her. You've described your husband as having like a godlike complex. How do you guys come together and fall in love with the two of you being wired so differently? You know, I don't, I don't know. I, you see, so my husband, even though he thinks he's up there on top, he brings me up with him. Oh, that's beautiful. So like, you know, I think my, my husband was the one who realized it before I did um, about, you know, 
you know, my extreme low self-esteem, my low confidence and everything and whatever. And he, you know, since the beginning, and even now, like he does such a great job at always just showing me and always just telling me like, I'm here for you. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you in whatever way that I can. Um, I love you, you know, and he, he brings me right up there with him. So I'm like, the goddess, I guess. I, I don't know what would be <laughs> would be right next to him, but you know. But he does a good job at, at trying to just kind of lift me up and lift my spirits. So you know, I I truly appreciate him for that. You know, when it when it does come to the fact that you know he's uh, it, that he's married to somebody who suffers, you know, from from anxiety. Similarly, you know, my wife is married to a guy who's uh, suffers from depression and anxiety. How about like the communication there? Because like when I was suffering with addiction, like I, I, I just kept it all under wraps. And now we're at a point where, I mean, I think two or three times this week already, like I've reached out to Kayla while she was at work and I'm just been like, honey, I just feel so broken right now. Like there's almost like an over communication there. What's your story like in, in that way? Did, did you try to kind of protect him from it for some time? Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think he realized that I had anxiety for a while. Um, and I, you know, in the episode that we did together, I joked, I was like, do you remember the first time I had a panic attack? And he was like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was like, it was on our honeymoon. We were going to go zip lining and I freaked the fuck out. And he was just like, oh yeah. He's like, I thought you were being like a little bitch, you know, like that, <laughs> that's what he said. And you know, there are times where, uh, I'll talk to him about like what's going on in, in my mind. And, um, you know, there are times where he'll listen, he'll understand. And there are times where he's just like, mm, okay. You know? <laughs> well, when I, when I think about the zip lining experience though, like that, I, it, you understand that that's his reaction. It's like, okay, you were just terrified. So you freaked out. It has, it has to be different when like, there's no rhyme or reason for your anxiety that, 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 that had to have been kind of illuminating to him. I mean, um, Maybe I, you know, I don't know. Um, I I think it's more so like me, like not wanting to open up truly, and, and you know, to him. Um, he does listen to my podcast, <laughs> so that helps. You know, he'll be like, "Oh wow, like I didn't know, you know, you were experiencing that or you were feeling that and stuff." And so that definitely helps. It's like sort of you know my way of venting to him, I guess, even though it's not to him. <laughs> But, you know, he, he, he listens and, and um, he'll come and, and, you know, whenever I put out like kind of a little bit of a heavier episode, he'll come home from work and he'll be like, hey, are you okay? You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that was just me ranting about something, you know, um, I, I really, I don't know, I just, I've, you know, growing up, I was just kind of told, like, you know, you're a little too much, you know, like those emotions, you're a little over dramatic. And so I try and truly try still till today, protect him from that. I'm like, I don't want you to see me being too much, you know? Yeah. It's a tough pattern to break. Yeah. But I, I'm getting better, you know, and I'll go cry in the bathroom by myself, you know, but once I am like calm and collected, I'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm feeling anxious over this. And he'll, you know, he'll ask me like, why? And I'll, you know, I'll tell him my reasons and he'll just, he does his best to try and listen to me and not try and be the hero every time. You know, that was an issue that we had a lot at first. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, where he would always try and be the hero. And I'd be like, sometimes I don't need you to be a hero. You know, sometimes I just need you to to listen to me. So, you know, it's a work in progress. But, um, you know, he does a good job at just trying to at least listen to me vent or rant about whatever it is that I need to talk about. That is such a huge thing. When the partner learns that they can't fix everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's still learning, though. Oh, <laughs> He's still learning. oh yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what? But there's also, like, I found myself yesterday, you know, I'm chatting with Kayla while she's at work. You know, she stepped away, you know, so that she could, you know, listen to me yet again. There was a certain amount of, you know, she was offering me, she made space for me, but she still offered me some advice and some perspective. And historically I would have received that and I would have been like, I don't want to be fixed. You know, I just, I just want you to listen. But yesterday, like, I think I, I think I managed to listen a little bit more. And I think that's what I'm finding out when we communicate more is that I'm more receptive to her 
being her and trying to fix things. Cause I know where she's coming from, but yeah, for so long, like she would try to fix something and, and it, and it would just be like flicking kerosene on a fire. Right. But I think that there's, there's, there's something of a, you know, there's kind of, you know, two sides of the transaction where I guess I'm kind of trying to meet Kayla halfway. You ever feel that? I mean, I guess now that I am, I guess now that I'm learning more about just like myself in general, I've been a little bit more receptive to actually listening to what it is that he has to say. But I don't know if I'm quite there yet (laughs) where I am, you know, willing to accept what he has to say just yet. I mean, there are times where I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm a little crazy right now. Or like, I'm I'm definitely overthinking this right now. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, more of the more in-depth things, I think that I'm not 100% there yet. I'll listen, but something in me is still like, mm, no, thanks. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, that's kind of a, a form of trauma in and of itself, where we get so used to the pattern of them always wanting to fix us. That, like we develop like the almost like allergic reaction to it, where it's like they try to fix us and we break out in anger. So yeah, no, I I feel you. I just you know I just sort of had that revelation yesterday. Where it was like, holy shit, did I actually just listen to her? <laughs> like, yeah, oh. it was bizarre. It's funny. He always tells me like, oh, like you know, you never listen to me, and now you're making me realize like, you know what, you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, when when we were chatting, you opened up about one journey that your husband is on. In that he gave up alcohol last September. Is that right? Like the 26th, something like that? The 7th, 28th, I believe. Okay, yeah. got I only know this because like uh, my, my father-in-law's birthday is around the same time. So I knew it was, it was one of those dates. Um, I mean, how, how did this come to be? Like, I know that he, you know, was in a line of work where, I mean, he was in sales, which is just brutal where it's such a what have you done for me lately line of work where you know people are only looking at like your sales you know track record over the past week or two so i assume that that was brutal but what was that journey like in terms of him realizing that that he was you know potentially drinking too much well he so he was in this sales job right and um you know it was i never noticed how bad his drinking was you know, I was just like, oh, you know, he's coming home from work, grabbing some beers, you know. And um, it was like two months prior to my daughter being born, so like in November, that he found out that he was going to get fired from his job. And that just kind of escalated everything, you know. And at this point, you know, I started to realize it and I was like, hey, you know, you used to only drink, you know, X amount, but now you're drinking a lot more. And um, he didn't like that I was, you know, like nagging on him, you know, bitching at him, whatever. Yeah, we don't. We we, we don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, he started to hide it, you know, and I would, you know, go into the garage or something and I would see can here, can there, you know, bottle there, bottle here. And, um, you know, I would I would send a picture to him and I'd be like, Oh, I found this in the garage, you know, or I found this. And, um, you know, it was always like, you're, you know, you're crazy, you're something, whatever. And then my daughter was born and it, you know, calmed down a little bit. Um, and then we, we moved back uh, to, you know, where we bought our first home and he started working at a different place. So he got fired from that place. He started working somewhere else. And this was a completely different new thing for him. So he went from doing sales to doing electrical work. Um, and he hated that place too. Mm-hmm. He hated it. He, re- you know, he resented it. And he would never tell me, but I could tell just by the way that he would come home from work that he hated it. And his drinking just you know, started to escalate from there and it got bad. And then he would drink like almost every day after coming home from work, he'd come with like a six pack of beer or whatever. And um, I told him, I was like, Hey, listen, like we got to kind of, I know you don't want to stop. You know, I know that you're not going to stop, but I need you to, you know, we kind of need to make like a schedule here. And I was like, because I can't take you being drunk every night. Like, I just, I cannot. So we made it to where he wouldn't drink on the weekdays, 
but then he could drink on the weekends, right? Because he didn't have to go to work. He didn't really need have any responsibilities on the weekends. But then, you know, he started to figure out, like, how can I get more drunk? And he would, like, not eat all day long mm-hmm. so that he could drink and, you know, and be even more drunk. And, and he would always, you know, buy one six-pack because it'd be like, oh, you know, you said only one six-pack, right? But then somehow some other, you know, alcohol would come in to play. And, um, you know, it, it was it was rough because there was nothing that I could do. And every time I would try to talk to him about it, it would always just me. It was me nagging, me bitching, me, you know, oh, I'm fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not drinking too much. I'm only drinking on the weekends. So it's fine. It's fine. But, you know, they're not eating all day. That's not normal. You know, the like having to sneak in more alcohol, you know, that's not normal either. You know, and it got to the point where I was a little bit scared and I was terrified because, you know, work wasn't going so well. So he would come home, he would drink his way through, you know, whatever it was that it was he was going through. And we would get into these arguments, you know, and they were pretty bad arguments. The only time we've ever actually had bad arguments was, was whenever he was under the influence, whenever he was drunk. And then the next morning he would wake up and it would be as if nothing ever happened, as if those arguments never happened. And I'd be like, do you realize that you, you know, kind of threatened to divorce me last night, you know? And he'd be like, oh, ha ha ha, you know, like I was drunk, you know, and, and that would be it. He'd always call his drunk alter ego, Steven. <laughs> he'd be like, you know. <laughs> he gave it a name. Well, that's his middle name. So like. That's, that's so funny. It's I'm laughing because. We, I had a buddy in college, still a good friend of mine. His name is Andy. But when we go out drinking, we call him Steve because it was like his alter ego. So that's wild. Yeah. So he would just be like, oh, that was just Steven talking, you know. And uh, I, and I, But I would, you know, I would always be scared because I'm like, you know, when you're drunk, I feel like you're the most honest, you know. So, like, do you really mean all of those things that you're saying to me? Like, you know. And, um he went to Vegas with some friends and I was at home. And, um, I remember like, normally he would text me like, Oh, we're in the hotel or, Oh, we're, you know, wherever, wherever, just kind of keeping me updated. And, um, it was like 11 o'clock the next morning and he hadn't texted me yet. And I was like, okay, either one, he got super drunk and isn't awake yet, but that's unlike my husband, even when he was, you know, super drunk, he would never wake up that late. And I was like, or something happened. Um, And it wasn't until maybe like 2 or 3pm where I got like a message on Instagram from like one of the friends Instagram that he was with. And he was just like, I lost my phone. Um, I'll try and call you later. And like, that was all the information I got. You know, so my head is like spinning. I'm like, what happened? You know, why this? Why that? And then like about 20 minutes later, I get another message and he's just like, oh, my truck was impounded. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like what, you know, like what happened? What, you know, I had no information whatsoever. No information. Um, so, you know, he kind of had hit rock bottom at that point. And this was a revelation that he came to all on his own. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, after we, you know, figured all of his stuff out, um, when he was driving back home, like the next day, he sends me a message and he was like, I need to go to AA. He was like, I'm done. He's like, he's like, I'm done. I can't. He's like, I I don't want to do this anymore. So right away, I like found an AA meeting right by us. And um, as soon as he came home, you know, he went into the car and I dropped him off. And, um, you know, thankfully he's been sober ever since. But, you know, there, it was just like nothing that I did. You know, it was just kind of all that came. It was just like his own, his own thing. He came to realize like, you know what, I'm, I have to be done. Like I can't do this anymore. All right. So Maria, I'm so glad that for him, he was able to make the decision and that AA was a solution for him. For me, it took something a little bit more dramatic. I had to go to rehab and I'm so grateful that a partner of the podcast gateway foundation is where I went through treatment.
If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free, confidential consultation, or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. There had to have been some level of, of kind of frustration, resentment. I don't know what you'd call it for the fact that he was able to make this decision. You know, he was able to make that decision on his own after so long of, of you trying to get through to him and telling him that it meant so much to you for him to get sober. Did that bother you at all? Um, you know what? It didn't. At that point, I was so relieved. Yeah. I, I was honestly relieved. I, you know, there was no resentment or anything, but we did have that conversation. You know, um, the next few days after he decided to go sober were really rough. Like it was for him, it was just like mental breakdown, like full blown, like realizing everything, you know? And, um, you know, we did have that conversation where I told him, I was like, why didn't you ever stop when I told you to stop? Yeah. And it just kind of came to the conclusion where he was just like, I just didn't love myself. And he said, he was like, I, I didn't love you. I didn't love Logan. He was like, I didn't know how to love anyone because I didn't love myself, you know? And that was rough to hear like all on its own. Like, yes, I knew, you know, that he loved me, but just hearing that, that was rough because I was like, wow, you know, and, and that brought up, you know, my own <laughs> childhood traumas and everything. But, you know, I honestly, I was relieved that, you know, I was upset that whatever happened happened, but I was honestly relieved that it finally came to him realizing that he needed to change. Yeah, and he had lost the capacity to love. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty remarkable revelation that when we find out that we we do in fact need to love ourselves in order to you know properly love others one of the things that when i was in rehab that we heard a lot particularly from guys from aa who would come in and speak to us like we, we, it was constantly we we're being beaten over the head by people saying don't expect to go home and have people throw a parade for you how do you sort of manage that balance of, especially early on in his sobriety, of being proud of him, but also like not denying yourself the fact that you were hurt and that you were wounded and that we couldn't just sweep everything under the rug? Um, you know, like I said, it was, it was a rough <laughs> first couple of days. Um, you know, it, there was a lot of crying on, on both ends of us just like talking about everything. You know, I did try and do my best to be supportive. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I was also just like angry. I was just annoyed. I was just like, you know, why did it take you so long? Why did it have to come to this? Like, why? Like, why now? Like, why not before? You know, and, and that was a conversation also that we had. And, you know, he just, it, you know, it was just a matter of like him not being ready and just him not willing to accept that he had a problem. Um, and, you know, we kind of just kept it very just like, I guess, like subtle, like it, there wasn't a huge like, oh, my God, thank goodness. You know, I'm so proud of you for 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 quitting and stuff. We kind of just tried to keep it as, you know, as normal as, as possible, I guess. I was obviously happy, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be like, woohoo, you know, like balloons and stuff and whatever. So we just kind of kept it just like, you know, very subtle, like the transition as, as much as we could. But, you know, but it was definitely rough. Where are you now with it? Because like he just celebrated a year. I, I know that you've I know you've confessed that you guys have <laughs> that you guys forget about anniversaries and stuff that um, him going on your podcast. I loved it that that was like your, your anniversary gift to you. But 
Where are you at with it now? Uh, does does it ever come up, or have your feelings changed about uh, about you know some of that trauma and, and and his recovery? So you know, for his one year that just came up, I I was like, okay, you know what? Let's let's try and do something special for him. You know, I didn't really do much when he did become sober, um, and I was like trying to think like, well, what can I do? You know, and we're not big like gift givers or anything. Like we just never you know. We don't make huge deals over, you know, birthdays and stuff. So I went out and I got him um, like a happy first birthday balloon. Mm. And I got him a chair that he, you know, he uses at work for like lunch, you know, one of those like portable, like, I don't know what they're called, like stadium chairs or whatever. And he came home and he just like kind of looked at it and he was like, oh, thanks, you know, and like that was it, like no acknowledgement, like no, nothing whatsoever, which I mean is kind of normal on his end. This is kind of <laughs> what he does. But, you know, I, I did feel, you know, a little bit sad. I'm not even going to lie because I was like, oh, I thought that this would be an even more like special day for us, you know, but he was, you know, the same. He just kind of kept it very just like subtle, like, okay, it's my one year. I'm here. I made it. Like, let's kind of keep going. So you know, that's just kind of how we've, we've kept it this, this whole time. And, you know, he, he won't, we won't, he doesn't really talk about it. And, um, he doesn't really like joke about it or anything. Um, it's just, I don't know, to him, he's very like, well, it's in the past that, you know, it, it happened, it's done. So that's just kind of where we are with it right now. Yeah. I mean, he takes a very practical approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is tough for you and I to understand, you know, because for, for us, everything is a sentimental moment of, of reflection and agonizing and yeah. an emotional. Yeah. I thought it was, right? you know, it was going to come home and, you know, crying and talking about, you know, like, Oh, I'm so proud of you. But it was just like, Oh, thanks. You know, and like kept going. <laughs> Well, now I, I I know that you guys aren't big gift givers with each other, but I I have to assume that like every every time that that Logan like <laughs> anything happens in her life, you must be just lavishing like love and gifts on her. Am I am I right? Not on the gift giving either. No, <laughs> we yeah we. That's actually good though, I think. You know, like we do love her, right? So like for her, you know, past birthdays, we do we have thrown like a birthday party for her and stuff. But in regards to like gift giving, like even for Christmas, we'll probably well, this year she can officially tell us what she wants, but you know, we've only done maybe like practical gifts, like if she needs extra clothes or shoes or something. But in terms of like big gifts, I mean last year we did get her a dollhouse, which is what she wanted. But yeah, I know we're not like huge even gift givers with our own kids. I think though, like this has always been our focus is rather than like giving toys and stuff, it was always about like, and it still is about giving experiences. So for you, that's gotta be, that's gotta be Disneyland, right? <laughs> so yeah, I did take her to Walt Disney World for her birthday in January. Yeah, I did. And I'm debating if I want to take her again <laughs> in January. Um but yeah, you know, I, I would much rather take her somewhere, you know, than actually give her like a gift that she's, you know, she's a kid, she's going to get over it in a few months or something. <laughs> yeah, our, our girls will come home from like a school event with like, a, like handfuls of like plastic trinkets. And, and we already like start dreading like, okay, in a week when they stop playing with these, how are we going to like sneak them into the garbage or sneak oh, them out of the house? No, my daughter just yesterday, she was like, mommy, she was like, do you remember this toy? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Even though it was thrown in the trash like months ago, you know, like she'll be like, where is this? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like maybe you lost it. They, they have such strangely selective memory. It's, it's bizarre. Well, you know, before we wrap up here and I really appreciate you, you know, and please pass along my thanks to your husband and pass along my congratulations. Not that he's going to give a shit, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you talking about it because I I'm very, I'm very conscious of the fact that, that you felt gaslit when, when, uh, you know, it was, it was made to be like, it was no big deal when you'd find empties and stuff. So like, like, I guess I would just say thank you for being, you know, a, a terrific partner because like, I, I see that in, in my wife, Kayla, you know, that sort of like helplessness that, that, that you went through. So I appreciate you opening up about that. I do want to, I do want to ask you, and I, I mean, I think I already sort of know the answer to this, but 
you know, you had talked about your your revelation with your anxiety and learning learning to like live with it and love it. What came first, that or the podcast? And why have you continued to do the podcast? Is is it to fill your cup? Is it to connect with people? I think the learning to love it came as I was doing my podcast. I think, you know, like I said, it, it was just like me doing more episodes and me just learning more about myself. Um, and then me also realizing that I wasn't alone because I would have people who would be like, oh, wow, you know, like, I didn't know that, you know, this was a thing. I didn't know there were other people who felt this way. Um, and that, you know, gave me like a sense of community, to be honest. And I keep doing it for the little community that I've built you know, around my podcast, around like my Instagram, and now around TikTok. (laughs) And I truly just like, enjoy it. And I, you know, I mainly do it because, you know, for so long, like, even as like a young teen, like I felt so alone, I felt that like, no one truly understood what I was going through. I thought that I was, you know, crazy. I thought that I was like, the only one feeling this way, the only one like worried about these things, the only one overthinking these things. So, you know, I continue to do it because I know that something I'm going to say is going to help someone out there, you know, and as bizarre and as crazy as I think it sounds coming out of my mouth, I know that someone out there needs to hear what it is that I need to say. And that is why, you know, I kind of, just made myself a little bit vulnerable, you know, and I talk about things that most people don't or aren't willing to talk about because I know that at one point or another, someone needs to hear what I need to say. Well, and, and now you recently did an episode of, about kind of what you're alluding to is something that no one wants to talk about. And that's you know, suicidal ideations and self-harm. What was the response like to that from, from internally like, how did you feel after finally saying that out loud? And and did you hear from any folks who, who, who had been in a similar spot? So, you know, after I, I recorded that episode, I was, I was honestly scared. I was like, are people going to think that I still feel this way? Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I, I was super anxious when it came out. And I didn't know how people would honestly react. But a lot of my close friends or my closer friends were the ones who messaged me and they were just like, I am crying listening to your episode right now. You know, they're just like, I didn't know that that was ever how you felt. You know, like you, you always seem so, you know, happy. You always seem so just like well put together, I guess. And they're just like, I never thought that that was how you ever felt or that was something that you were dealing with. Um, it was it was very just like therapeutic for me to finally like say it out loud and to finally admit that like, you know, this was a, you know, kind of a huge part of my life. Like it, you know, it, it happened at such a young age, you know, and it's something that no kid at 13 should be thinking about those things, you know? And um, I've, you know, I've had the honor of speaking to a lot of like teen mental health groups, you know, about it and because of it. And, um, you know, and I will always be honest with them about everything that I was feeling because I know that at that age, I didn't have anyone to talk about and I didn't have anyone to, you know, to relate to or anything. So, um, you know, it, it opened up a lot of doors to be able to talk to a lot of these teen, you know, mental health groups, you know, they're, um, you know, and I had one in India, I'm going to be doing one in Ireland, you know, like, so like around the world, you know, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, grateful, I guess, for the opportunity to talk about things and to hopefully, you know, help someone out there. I mean, that's beautiful. Being able to, when people actually ask you, look, you have something here, you have something beautiful and something that people desperately need. And, and, and here, here's an audience. I think that's terrific. That's kind of where like you arrive and it's like, yes, this is, this is why I'm doing this. Unfortunately, I mean, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I, and I shouldn't say unfortunately, but I got to go get my kids from school. <laughs> yeah, I got to go feed mine breakfast. So, <laughs> so, so I'm going to spend the rest of my day second guessing the way that I phrased every single question to you. Oh, I mean, maybe me too, how I am. <laughs> 
but by and large, this has been absolutely wonderful. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been excited for this. I know we talked about it when we recorded your episode, so it, the time finally came. So yeah. Thank, thank you for everything you do and everything you put into the world. It's, it's, it's a truly beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. Okay. Okay. Bye. All right, gang. So as Maria mentioned, you know, the reason why we do these podcasts, the reason why, you know, we bear our souls on social media, a lot of it has to do with us, you know, creating a, a community and a sense of belonging for ourselves and a sense of filling our own cup by helping others. And that's why I'm, I just find it so rad that folks have reached out to Maria and enlisted her, an absolute source of knowledge in the realm of anxiety to speak to youngsters who are struggling themselves. That is so cool. All right. Well, if you missed my keynote speech, you can go to YouTube, look up APN Lodge. That's All Points North Lodge. And you can still watch it after the fact. I opened up about my story. I talked about my program that keeps me sober and that keeps me happy. That allows me to keep running after a great life after so many years of running away from my problems. With that, I'm so pumped to catch up with you guys next time. But in the meantime, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space, remember right here, we are always coming together. Love you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.